You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another Flip My Funnel episode. And this podcast has been just growing like crazy. And one of the reasons it's growing is because we have people that are doing Tuesday and Thursday takeovers. So today, I'm really excited to introduce Barb uh, Mosher Zink. She is running her own podcast called Content Matters. And it's a really, really good podcast. And she's interviewing some ridiculously good people in content. So if you're in content, you got to listen to this whole series. So Barb, welcome to the Flip My podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. All right, Barb, share a little bit about your podcast and the type of people you're interviewing in this series. So the Content Matters podcast is a podcast that looks at all aspects of content from, especially from the marketing side, but also from like technical documentation, like how all of, how it works to support every kind of group across the company. And I have been really, really fortunate to interview some really great, smart experts. Um, Scott Abel, Ann Hanley, Matthew Sweezy, um, Ian Truscott, um, Jim Edmonds, uh, Kim Mayfield. Or Mathley, sorry, I said his name wrong. But um, yeah, there's just there were so many. I've we've been going for two years now, and it's just it's just been phenomenal. Fantastic, Barb. I cannot wait to hear this episode. So let's just dive right into it. Welcome back, everyone, to the Content Matters podcast. Today we spend some time talking with Ian Truscott. Ian is a B2B marketing executive leader. He's also the managing director of Apropingo, a name I love to say, it's his new company. He's been a CMO, a senior vice president of a number of tech companies, many of which you would know. He also did some time as a web CMS analyst for the Gilbane Group. All this just means that Ian knows a lot. He knows a lot about marketing, about marketing technology, like marketing, content marketing, web content management and all that great stuff, which was why we wanted to talk to Ian today. So our conversation kicked off with kind of a look at the content management industry and this idea of creating omni-channel experiences. But from there, we went into how he helps organizations build art, which he calls awareness, revenue, and trust. And then we ended with a look at personalization and his new digital publication, Rockstar CMO, which if you haven't seen it yet, I would encourage you to go find it and sign up for it. With that being said, you've been in leadership roles at a number of well-known content management and content marketing technology companies over the last number of years. Man, I was looking back at your LinkedIn profile and I couldn't believe the places that you've been that I didn't even realize. (laughs) I saw you stop by. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you consider the most important changes in the content management industry based on all of your experience? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I think the important, probably the important change has been a shift from an IT-centric point of view to really thinking about the experience and how you're going to serve the content to the consumer. I think maybe that pendulum swung a little bit too far and I'd like to hear what the rest of your questions are like and whether we get into discussion of that. But I think that that's probably the thing that I've seen where these tools have turned from platforms. I mean, I was at Vignette in 
2000, where basically it was just a bunch of APIs and, and, a, and a real heavy IT build to really an expectation from the business user that this is a business tool that they, they, they need to use on a daily basis. And of course, that the, the level of experience that the audience is expecting um, over the, over, you know, what's what people call omni-channel now across multiple channels. And I think that's the biggest difference I think we've seen. The, to flip your question around, though, I think that we've got a little bit carried away with stuff. And I think that a lot hasn't changed in, in content management in the basic thing. I wrote about this on, on CMSY, your old patch. And um, is that really it's still an interface to put content into a content structure or a, a database and uh, well, well managed and then publish to something. And I think sometimes we, we, um, we forget that. You know, and we, we build all these different acronyms and these different things, whereas basically content, that's what content management system is. And it's always been that way. Yeah, definitely a lot of different solution providers coming out and everybody wants to name their solution different yeah. so that yeah. they kind of stand out. But in the end, yeah. when you look at the underlying technologies and the capabilities, they're all really very similar in, in many yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the more we change, the more we seem to tend to say the same, I guess, is how I well, kind of look at it. Yeah, and that, I think that, does, that doesn't really serve the buyer particularly well because I think um, in, certain, in, in certain circumstances, people um, probably need a centralized content management system. But because something's called a dam, they're like, oh, I don't know whether I need a dam. Or, or on the opposite side, they, they know they need to store some pictures alongside their content. And then they're thinking, oh, I think I need a dam. Whereas maybe they don't need a dam. They just need you know, a, a, a decent content management system or web content management system that has some, some way of managing assets. So I think the problem with some, it isn't just about the, the noise the vendors create, but it's also about the way that the analysts as well are sort of segmenting and we're, we're getting carried away, I think, with some of these acronyms when, when some of these, these, these acronyms have, have a lot in common with one another. Yeah. So... Um... That kind of gives into my next question, actually, which is pretty good. Um, you you were actually also an analyst. You worked mm -hmm. you worked with Gilbane for a while, so you've mm -hmm. kind of you have that perspective of analyzing yeah. the market and stuff. And yeah. what we're talking about now, like you said, is omni-channel experiences for people who want it, companies that want to build them. I think that very few of them are kind of really doing true omni-channel. And to 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 offer that kind of experience, though, you have to have a different type of content management solution. And the technologies were going from headless to hybrid or agile. Mm. Like, and again, yeah. I know we're getting back to acronyms, but is there yeah. a right technical, you know, CMS technology going forward? Well, with my, with my former analyst hat on and as a consultant, um, I think um, it'll be what's right for that particular organization and where, where the pain is, which is the obvious answer. But what I, what I do think is that, um, is I, is I think we've always uh, lived in somewhat of an omnichannel world. And I don't think that um, it's such a big revolution that suddenly your, your content management system or your web content management system can't be as omnichannel as you need to be. Now, not, a lot of, not, not all organizations need to be completely omnichannel. And I think the interesting thing about um, the omni-channel conversation is that one of, the, one of the channels that's often forgotten is print. A lot of organizations, the majority of their content is either in print or on the web. But when we talk about omni-channel, we're often talking about web, um, social, 
um, mobile and, and, and those kinds of platforms, which have, which have got a lot in common. And I, and I think if you're talking about digital content, the word omnichannel is probably, it's a bit like digital marketing. It's just marketing. And, and I think if you're managing content, you're, you're, manage, you're omnichannel managing content. It's, you know, I, I, and I think that's the goal that people need. Right. That makes sense. Okay. So uh, your company, Apropingo, did I say yeah. that right? Yes. It's, <laughs> I like that name. It's kind of got a ring to it. Um, yeah. you, you're a consultancy. You help organizations create what you call art, awareness, revenue, and trust. Yeah. What does that mean? What does art really mean? Well, this is, uh, this is my, from my experience of being, being a CMO and holding senior marketing positions and working uh, as a consultant with, with various large organizations like NASDAQ and MX and stuff, is that as marketers, um, and, and you've seen this also, uh, Bob, in, in this conversation about growth hacking and growth officers and all that kind of stuff, for me, I think that marketing needs to remember that it, its role in the business is to do those three things, right? get awareness, get revenue, and get trust. Now, in, in, it, it depends on the situation about which order you put those things in, but, you know, nobody wants to create tar, do they? They all want to create art. So I, yeah. I've, gone, I've gone with art. But I think, and, and I think if you think about those things, and I think one of the challenges that CMOs have and, and C-marketers have is making themselves relevant to the CFO and other members of the C-suite. Now, if you create um, metrics based on awareness, revenue, and trust, you're going to key right into whatever their metrics are. So if it's, if it's growth, if it's revenue growth, if it's customer growth, if, it's, if, it's, if, it's, um, if you're working for a charity and it's about growing awareness, um, and, and obviously almost every organization, if you talk about revenue, you're talking the language of the C-suite. So I think it, that's why I came up with that. And, and it's something that I developed um, in my last CMO role and it just helped us all understand what were the top-level metrics that this marketing department needed to deliver and then from that, I could ladder downwards to, into the team as to how we need to achieve those things and also ladder upwards to the C-suite and say, this is what we're going to deliver in terms of these three key metrics that I'm, I'm, I want to do. Do you think that the, the CMO is finally starting to get uh, more, more of a time at the table in the C-suite than kind of they used to before? It's hard to judge um, because, you know, uh, yeah, my, my experience is mainly in the software business, and I think there's there's a there's a growing realization that um, you know features and functions. Well, I hope there's a growing realization that features and functions aren't going to win you market share alone. You need right. to have a great story, and you need to be out there. And I think when you, you see that with with some of the more dynamic um, software products, you know, recently you've seen that, for example, with Drift, who, who who took a technology that wasn't brand new. You know, being able to do chat, a lot of other vendors could do chat. But they wrapped it up in conversation marketing, conversation sales, and they put a story around it that actually people could then understand. And that's the role of marketing is to, is to do that, is to take these bright ideas and make them relevant to a marketplace and, and do that category definition. Because also that's what we are talking about earlier, Barbara, about, about the way that um, CMS vendors are being created and then creating their own category and their own acronym. That's the right thing to do as a software vendor to create your own category, but it has to be differentiated. And I think that's what those guys did. And that's, that's the partnership between marketing and the, and the engineers and the, and the bright folk in, in, in development. So is, is that why you say, or you, you, I read that you said personalization doesn't build relationships, content does. It's, so is that what you mean? Like the content is your story, is your narrative? And, yeah. and that's how you actually win customers? 
Yeah, that was really a reaction against um, what what you see in a lot of organisations is a strong focus on the front end delivery and on on how people are going to receive the content and and all the sort of personalisation, the remarketing, and all that all that stuff. And and by the way, let's define what personalisation means. But we that's that's for another day, and we'll have to spend quite a long time on that. But yeah, um, it was really a really what I meant by that was organizations need to focus on what is their story what is the content that they want to get consumed that and that asset is what is going to create that relationship with the end consumer and of course then we need to work on how we're going to get that asset to that consumer and absolutely we need to be relevant we need to be on the right channel we need to be in the right format we need and all that good stuff but let's think about the content first because that's the thing that's going to create the relationship and then think about how we're going to get it to the consumer whereas at the moment the conversation around uh, content management is, is around experience and it's around technology like headless. And I think we're forgetting about the content. Yeah. I mean, definitely there's a lot of conversation about, you know, we have to personalize, but if you don't have the content in the right yeah. story, what's the point in personalizing anyway? Yeah. Well, and the other, the other thing as well is I think that every organization needs to personalize. And, there, and what I mean by that is, you need to discover who are your tribe, who are the people, who is your core audience that you need to attract and who will be your buyers, and then really lean into those people. Now, that may mean creating content that other people won't like or won't respond to, but they may not be your people. So you do need to personalize. You do need to be relevant. You do need to do that research. And that's about creating a great content marketing strategy at the beginning. Say, yes, this is the, this is the best answer to, the, to my people's question. It may not be the best answer to other people's question, but I don't care because these are the people that I'm going to go after. And I think, you know, that kind of focus is very relevant. I, whether, you, you know, I don't think you need to call that personalization and have 15 versions of that to appeal to every single persona. If 10 of those personas are of no interest to you really commercially. And that's kind of one of the challenges, I think, with some marketers is that they're trying to build content or, or anything that, that hopefully hits a wide number of people when they really should be narrowing down yeah. their focus and they're on a very specific, you know, yeah. ideal customer profile. If you can use the new terminology that, <laughs> yeah. that they want, they really want like and yeah. that make, and that's kind of a struggle for the content then because yeah. the content becomes not as good, not as useful. Yeah. Well, there's a number of challenges uh, going on in organizations that I've seen. Well, and some of that is around metrics and, the expectation of the teams that are doing those activities. So if you're, if the expectation and you're rewarded on creating lots of content and just jumping on the old hamster wheel, whenever anybody from product says, build me a data sheet, you go do, then you're going to create a lot of content. If, um, if on, uh, you're on the web team and you're getting rewarded because you've got lots of hits, um, then that's what you're going to go for. And what the organization actually wants in, in what I was saying just now about getting this kind of focus is really you need to do less and really focus on creating content and, and also measuring the engagement with the right people that are going to buy your product. There's no, you know, I, I've, taught, I've said this for about a decade is uh, when, when I presented about this stuff. If you, if you want lots of web hits, let's train a cat to play piano, put it on and, and put, it, put that on your homepage. You'll get, right. You'll get a ton of hits, but you won't get any engagement with you or with your products. And, and, um, and that's also the challenge, I think, with a lot of content marketing, because I think a lot of people are creating 
snackable, listicle, all that kind of very, very, you know, it's like um, high sugar content, which is actually not delivering engagement with the organization or with the story or with the product or with the challenge that you're trying to solve. Um, but it, it's great. You know, we've got loads of hits, um, yeah. but that's not what you want. This is, it requires a, a, the, the marketing team or the content writers to have a stronger relationship with other people in the company who maybe understand the customer better. Are you finding like with your, with the clients that you're working with that, that, that relationship across the walls between marketing and sales and customer support, is that still something they aren't able to kind of get around or even if they do get around, they don't get the relationship right. Like one of the things that I kind of saw in a study was that, yeah, sales will tell marketing what they want them to write about but that's yeah. not how the relationship should work. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. That's not how the relationship should work. But um, I, the, the challenge is when we talk about all these different departments, um, and I, I, I kind of wrote about this a little bit on LinkedIn the other day, because I also have, I'm also in the fortunate position where I host executive uh, networking events, dinners and breakfasts and stuff. Yeah. And we talk about all sorts of things. But one of the common things that I see being talked about is about, in, in, is about silos. And we can, in, inside an organization, and we could be talking about any kind of business challenge. And a lot of organizations have the same challenges, and that's about silos. And some of those silos are created by what we were talking about just now, about metrics and measurement and what, they, what is expected of different departments. And that makes them protective of what their little silo, right? And they don't want to, they want to work with you, but they can't. You know, they're, 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 the, the organization is some, somewhat broken around that. And I think that's common in what we also see in organization. I think it's a very, it's, it's being, it's very hard for large organizations to make that change. Um, because why do I need to, you're, 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 you're a marketer. Somebody, somebody in products tells you to create a data sheet. It's very hard to ask who cares, who's going to care about this data sheet. Why am I doing this? You know, because we're, you know, you have that, you know, we've always done it this way. Let's go do it. We definitely need a data sheet and we need one based on it aimed at the techie, aimed at the marketer and aimed at the CEO. How many times do we talk to the CEO? You can't, it's hard to ask those questions. And really that's what needs to start happening is, is asking these questions. And also, I think when you start breaking down these silos between the organizations, you actually create less content because everybody's creating their own thing. So sales think they need this particular asset and they create that, their, their sales presentation and story. Um, the people in support need to create, and, but if you all bring it together, you actually can, can bring a lot of efficiency to your, to your content. Content development. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there. No, it's okay. Does, <laughs> is it the role of the CMO or the VP of marketing to kind of build those relationships? I, I think it's it. Um, this sounds. This might sound odd. I think it's everybody's role. I think. I think what what's happened with our organisations is there is a second. There is a shadow business inside every business, and that is the production of content, right? But we don't recognise it at the same level that we would recognize HR or IT or even the production of our products. I mean, if you, you know, a lot of people say, you know, the story is as important as the products, you know, somebody like Seth Godin would say something like that. But I think that there's, there's a truth to that. And I think that we, and, and there's an awful lot of money and time and effort being spent of an organization on producing content that it's, that's, that's happening at the point of need that a marketer is creating it or some tech tech guys creating some tech docs or somebody's creating a, a presentation, which actually 
um, is entirely inefficient. And nobody can really see, you know, what's the story we're telling? Nobody can see how much it's costing. Nobody knows where the assets are. And I, th I think that's, we need to start, as organizations, we need to learn from publishers and think of ourselves as we have two businesses, our core business, the service, product, whatever it is, charity that we run. But also we're a publisher of content that supports this other business. I think that's, that's why I say it's everybody's responsibility because I think it's been hard for marketing to sort of push this uphill. And I think that unless you've got the CFO engaged and he realizes, oh my God, I don't know how much money we're spending on content, then you start bringing change to the organization. Obviously, when you, you think this way and you agree this way, then you must believe in the idea of creating a content center of operations, yeah. center of operations sure. yeah, to, sure. um, to kind of manage content widely yeah. across the organization as opposed to just in marketing yeah. or in sales or whatever. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I, I've, I've started doing some, some work and thinking about this and, and thinking about the fact that we need to stop if we think like publishers and we, if we, and some people talk about the content supply chain or whatever analogy you want to make, right? I've been thinking of content as a utility within a business that, you know, you turn it on and you know, it's there and stuff like that. But if we start thinking about the production of content in a more sophisticated and operationalized way, then we start looking at the different aspects of creating content and measuring our success and how well we're doing more in line with the operation that's happening. Try and explain that in the, so, at the beginning, when you're doing the ideation, you're asking who cares and all that kind of good stuff, right? And assigning it to the persona. But I, what, what, what I hear in a lot of organizations is actually there's a lot of challenge around the getting stuff done bit, right? In that, oh, we can't do a blog because it takes eight months to get something published. Well, there's something wrong in your content operations that we need to figure out what the problem is. You don't need to go off and buy a new blog platform or go off and talk to your agency. You need to figure out what... What's this challenge with content in your organization? And then, of course, you know, the, and at the other end, we've then got people, as we talked about just now, measuring the success of the content based on some crazy vanity metric that actually has nothing to do with the overall goal of the content in the first place. I mean, I, I, had, a, I had a client, one massive um, uh, financial institution, and we did the content audit, and they were talking about getting rid of some of their content. And I love this story um, because it just proves... You know, you know, we all love stories that prove our point of view, right? So basically, right. <laughs> this is perfect for me. I couldn't believe I had this conversation. So um, we were doing the content audit and they say, hardly any, this content is the least popular. We're going to get rid of it. And it doesn't do any hits, right? But when we went in and talked to that organization and we talked to the, 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 the people that were producing it and we talked about their customers and all that kind of stuff, we discovered that this was a highly, highly profitable part of their business. And they only had, and they were high net worth organizations that would engage with this content and then spend millions with this organization, right? So you're in your sort of marketing ivory tower and you see a page you don't fully understand. It's only getting four hits a day. You think, oh, that must be rubbish. But it isn't because it's incredible. Those four hits are, you know, some of your biggest customers, for example. I'm, I'm, I'm talk talking a little bit extremes here, but do you see what I mean? And, and it's, it's aligning all that stuff up. Um, uh, and, and I think that's why we need to take a bit more of a, uh, you know, an operational view of content production and, and from soup to nuts, really. It, it sounds like you're saying, like, you know, we're too focused on traffic and hits when we yeah. should be. It's less about how many people visit as, yeah. as it is the right people are visiting exactly. and taking the next steps with us. Exactly, exactly. And we're not running a popularity contest. You know, we're, we're running a business. And if, 
mean, it, it, with most, uh, I mean, I work a lot with software vendors, as you know, and if, um, if 10 people came along uh, this week and they all bought a product worth a million, million dollars over three years, they'd do their number and they'd be delighted, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I know that's extreme, but, um, and, and I also think that what we do when we try and make our content popular is we make it wishy-washy, we undifferentiate it. And, and so, and then we start looking like everybody else or, or we have a new initiative and then we look at what our competitors are doing and then we, we make it, and, and the buyer, it doesn't, it just doesn't help the buyer because at some point the buyer is going to discover that you're not for them. Better they discover it when they look at your website than after you've done an 18 month procurement process. Right. So are you, you're also a, um, a proponent of a content hub. Yes. In terms of kind of like a like a media site for a brand, yeah. yeah. Why do are there, are there times like why do you think it's important, and are there times when maybe it's not the right idea for a certain brand or or type of I brand? Think, the, the, I like your second question. I'll, I'll do the first. I'll do the first one first. The first, I think it's important mainly because of the industry that I work in. I think that um, and we. You know, lately, influencer marketing has become a, a big buzzword, but it's always been the case, right? Yeah. So if you're, um, but nobody, everybody, if, if, you're, if you're a software vendor, and I'll say software vendor because that's probably my experience. If you're a software vendor and somebody comes on your website, they are going to believe you're trying to do the Jedi mind trick and make them buy something, right? They're not going to listen to your thought leadership. They're not, you know, even though you may have the brightest PhDs in the whole world working for your organization, unless you, you are going to have to, do a lot to gain that level of trust on your branded website. You know, and then some, some vendors get away with it and some vendors are great. I mean, I'm not saying it's the same for everybody, but broadly speaking, that's the case. Until you create some credibility of being able to talk in this and people feel free with that. The other, point, the other part of that is, is that if we, if we take that assumption that I've just made that you know, you're selling on your website, then nobody's going to share that content because they're going to, because by sharing it, you're going to look like a shill of their sales organization, right? Mm -hmm. Because the content is salesy, it's all branded. And if I share it, it makes me look like I'm, I'm actually um, promoting the vendor, not the point of view and all that kind of stuff, right? If, if, if you want somebody to guest blog on your, on your, on your blog and it's a branded blog, much harder to get an influencer or thought leader to do that um, on, on your blog and for it to, it, it to resonate. So, what I, um, what we've done and, and, uh, and what I've done in the past is to create a kind of an off-brand content hub where you, where you, where you do no selling, really. You just promote, you promote your point of view and you, and then you find that people get much more engaged in, in that kind of platform. You find that influencers are more likely to work with you. They're more likely to write for that kind of uh, publication because it gains some kind of credibility. And it, the credibility is dependent on the editorial. I mean, if you look at, for example, the, the way that CMO.com has kind of gone over the years, I mean, I'm presuming you remember it way back in the old days when it was, um, it was owned by the folks at Adobe Purchase, right? The web analytics guys. And, um, and, uh, and it had, in, 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 in the beginning, it had this sort of purity that it was genuinely a resource for CMOs. And then, and, and right now, if you look at it, it just looks like Adobe's blog. And I, I, th- and I think that Adobe can probably now get away with that, you know, because they have that reputation in the marketplace, but not, not, a, lot of, not a lot of people can. And I think if you're genuine with your editorial and you genuinely create useful content that people will engage with, 
then you can have a successful content hub. And it's a safe place is the way that I've described it. A safe place for you to then start to engage with people, engage with influencers, and even analysts will start to get involved with something like that rather than on your salesy salesy, uh, website, which is completely relevant, right? You need to have a salesy website. We need to be getting revenue done, right? You, You know my... Um, awareness, revenue, and trust thing. Absolutely. I want people giving me my, their email addresses and all that kind of stuff. But it's a good way to start meeting those very pre, you know, there's people who aren't quite ready for your solution yet, but want to kind of understand um, your take on the category. And, uh, and, and so, they're, they're, yeah, therefore I am absolutely a proponent of those things. I, I think oh. they are a great idea. Um, yeah. But I find it is a struggle to kind of convince some brands that this is something they need yeah, to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. I think, yes, and I didn't answer your second question. Your second question is, is it right for everybody? And like any marketing strategy, it isn't. It's like, should we be on TikTok? No, probably not. Yeah. Should we, you know, do, and, and I think some people don't even need a Twitter account. And it depends on, on where you're at, right? And it's the same with something like this. I think that it depends on the nature of your business and the nature of, of the relationship you have with your audience and where where you're perceived within your category and also whether you actually have the resources and the patience to make it work because something like this isn't isn't and and that sort of plays the question you just asked is something like this isn't a quick win that i can't i can't lie about that it takes time because you're building a community you're building an audience you're gaining trust and credibility you're getting it out there and 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 then what you're actually building is a paid media channel for yourself. So then you start advertising on this thing and then you'll start getting pulled through from that. But of course, from day one, it's not a valuable paid media channel. You'd never sponsor it as a a CMO. You have to build that yourself. I also think there's another benefit to this. And I think that as with cookie legislation coming in and all that good stuff is that and we get to we get privacy. For organizations to start to build their own media channels however big or small they are, I think that's going to start becoming a very important part of the marketing mix because, I, because you don't need to worry about that. You need to be very explicit about how you're going to use your privacy. And my recommendation there is you keep these things separate. So you have your, you have your community on your content hub, you have your newsletter, all that kind of stuff, but you don't sell on that. You then have ads, have people click through to the ads, and then they, you know, through the standard landing page on your website, stuff, download, whatever, and then they agree to be contacted by the vendor, right? You yeah. need to make sure you keep these communities pure, but it does give you a real, really good insight. And I think when, I mean, when I did this at SDR, we found that people that came through the content hub converted much quicker because they'd already kind of qualified themselves. They'd already had the same point of view as you. They're going to, they're going to, you know, they're now ready to buy and they're, and they're interested in talking to you. Um, last question before you go. Um, <laughs> I have to ask you about Rockstar CMO because yeah, sure. it's a really great publication. What made you kind of decide to start it? Well, I, um, I had the idea um, quite a long time ago um, and, and grabbed, the, grabbed the URL. And I wondered how I was going to do it. And, but this, again, was um, it, it started life as, a, as a, it, the, its most in, recent incarnation as, as a content hub. So I was working for Sentia. I was CMO at Sentia. We we were a, um, a German software company, not very well known outside of Germany. Um, I wanted to, uh, and my remit was to sort of grow the business um, to the UK and the US. And I wanted to create something that would that would enable us to have a conversation with marketers 
um, who wouldn't normally have a conversation with us. So, and, and with influence as well. So I invo- involved some of the influencers um, and, and we, 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 got, we got Rockstar CMO, CMO going. Since I've left, because I, I own the property, I've, I've continued to maintain it with their permission um, uh, because I own the URL, I, I own all, all of it. So they were a sponsor for a while and that worked for them. And, uh, and now I've maintained it and, and we've got a, such a really nice community uh, um, it, and again, it's differentiated. I don't go for listicles. I don't try and grow the traffic hugely. I'm more interested in having a really engaged in audience on that. You have some really great voices on there. I mean, getting Robert Rose on anything mm. is awesome because mm-hmm. he's just he's such a wide perspective and really yeah. great to listen to and talk to. But but also people that I've never heard of that just yeah. you know are talking about really interesting things. Yeah. That are worth definitely. It's definitely a an, a publication that I would recommend that everybody kind of sign thank up you. for. Well, thank you. And, and it's fun too because you always hit the kind of rock star, <laughs> yeah. you know, the lyrics and when, when I did yeah. the one piece for you, I was like, oh my god. Yeah. Well, I have to. I have to ask you for another one. But we, um, uh, yeah, and it's, it's it's a difficult balance because I don't want to overdo the, the rock star thing. And the other thing I want to, I don't want people to think is that I'm a rock star CMO. No, that isn't what I was saying. What I'm trying to say is exactly as you. I'm, I'm really glad you observed that is I want to expose some voices you don't normally hear, you know, and just genuine real people that are in senior marketing positions that have an opinion about stuff. And, and like you say, it's really interesting what you hear from, from folks who are really in there. You know, they're not trying to be Gary Vanacek or whatever. They're just themselves. And, and this is, this is, you know, this is what they've got to say. Yeah. It's, it's definitely worth um, everyone listening to. Thanks. So, Thanks, Ian. This was really great. Lots of good information here. I really appreciate it. (laughs) I feel we might have gone long, but um, um, thank you very much for giving me the time. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.